0: Love talk radio welcome back you health renaissance people yep today we're talking about bowel disorders nothing more fun than bowel disorders um it, and again we're also going to be talking about things that can't be said with our current political climate <laughs> okay i gotta tell you the um if you, if you saw it, um, if you had a chance to have fireworks this weekend, uh, we had a tremendous amount, and it was amazing. And but uh, the majority of them were illegal. And thank goodness that's that independent spirit, and that's what we got to get back. We got to get back that independent, um, freedom-loving American, calling it Independence Day. Okay to get back our health, okay? Does that make sense? And they get back our health and our lives. So all this will be put on the Dr. B VIP, and uh, eventually it's gonna be on Extreme Health Academy. So please, keep supporting the DRB VIP and Extreme Health Academy, that, that makes a big difference particularly since uh, YouTube and everyone else has demonetized us because our information is so dangerous. But it's really people like you that keep us going. Thank God. Okay, now let's go over. When we talk about the digestion and your nervous system, We have an automatic nervous system that controls and coordinates every function. So anyone under physical, chemical, or emotional stress, you're gonna have a similar response to the gut where you're gonna have decreased nerve supply to the gut. So when 100% of people who've had a chronic injury or illness, um, or anyone that's presenting with uh, diverticulitis, celiac disease, inflammatory bowel disease, we always check their nervous system because you have to because if you're if you're in a stress state like let's say someone's standing on your foot but you're eating the greatest goji berry salad ever you're not going to get the absorption so uh you know really you've got to look at the autonomic nervous system first now inflammatory bowel disease just look at the damage to the intestine Uh, there's a number of different ones. I mean, we're going to cover celiac only because that's inflammation with the poisoning of uh, toxic food. Uh, But you're looking at Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis. Uh, The only difference in those is the location. But understand the official ideology of what causes this is unknown. It's called idiopathic. And they say inflammatory bowel disease is an autoimmune disease unknown. According to the Celiac Disease Foundation, celiac disease is an autoimmune disorder that can occur occur in genetically predisposed people where the ingestion of gluten leads to damage to the small intestine. Blow that, okay, end of quote. We're gonna blow that genetically predisposed out of the water. Um, Now, and it's interesting too because they say the body mounts an immune system response that attacks the small intestine. These attack leads to damage on the villi, the micro, um, the small finger-like projections in the small intestine that promote nutrient absorption. Now this affects one in 100 people, um, and we're talking a little bit more than that in America. So it's getting more and more common. Now what they're talking about is the intestinal tract has all these little hair cells And what happens is this is an inflammatory process that damages those, so it damages the intestinal tract. It also increases uh, intestinal permeability. I mean, you're looking at the long-term effects of celiac disease, iron deficiency, infertility, miscarriages, vitamin mineral problems, pancreatic problems, uh, gallbladder malfunction, seizures, neuropathy, a bunch of things. So it's not just the current uh, COVID jab that has those effects, um, which could lead to it, but you've got to strengthen your immune system. Now, when you look at the clinical and experimental gastroenterology, uh, the pathophysiology of celiac disease, best explanation I could have seen. Uh, it says the gluten contains... Uh glandins and glutens. Now, these peptides resist complete digestion. They pass right um, down along through the epithelial barrier. Now, they get it through this because normally if you can't digest something, it gets through, um, it goes out the poop chute. And that's what the heavy fibers are. But this one, it gets through the intestinal wall. And this is where the leaky gut comes from. So when we're talking about today, about the health of the intestinal tract, we're looking at the health of the wall. So you've got to look at the nervous system and you've got to look at the increased permeability through the leaky gut. Now, also we're looking at um, CD4 or T cells and an inflammatory response. Uh, now genetics, they go on to state that um, uh, <laughs> um, the genetic predisposition... The HLA-DQ2 and HLA-DQ8 are found in virtually every patient with CDC or the celiac disease. It's important to note that 30 to 35% of Caucasians carry these markers, but only 2 to 5% will develop it. And even, okay, monozygotic twins, genetic environmental factors are required for CD. So combining all the known... Um, genetic factors, it's less than 10%. Uh, so you've got over 90% chance that it's environmental. Now, the environmental factors for celiac disease is exposure to, to toxic gluten um, early, where you're, where you're just developing, and also changes in the gut flora, bacterial gut flora. Uh, so we know that you need healthy bacteria in, this, in the system. So if you've had antibiotics growing up, like let's say you had ear infections, um, if your mom wasn't able to breastfeed, that's another problem because breast milk exerts a protective effect and protects you from celiac disease. In fact, it even has immune system modulating properties. And in the insane world that we're in, they've I've even seen recommendations for mothers to stop breastfeeding um, while the kid's being vaccinated that the, vac- that the breastfeeding helps the immune system so much that it fights off the vaccine. Yeah, I'll trust, I'll trust your body instead of trusting a doc- uh, doctor. Uh, now, also, infections uh, pre- predispose. However, when you look at this, you know, there's a quote from the experimental gastroenterology. Quote, infectious ideologies have been proposed have a causal relationship with develop a celiac disease in genetically susceptible individuals. These includes adenovirus, Campylobacter jejuni, Giardia, Lambertia, enteroviruses, rotaviruses. It, it's it's interesting. We're going to come into some of the vaccines that can also trigger it. Um, the treatment options, and this is frustrating because this is the Celiac Disease Foundation, is a gluten free diet. They're not looking to heal the gut. They're not looking to get out of the stress. But they say you must avoid wheat, rye, barley, and beer. Uh, ingesting smaller mucks like crumbs off of a cutting board or toaster can trigger small intestinal damage. Yeah, so th- when did this all happen? Okay, figure wheat cultivation has been around for around 8,000 years. Um, actually, 10,000. Um, when you look at the Punjab region, they've been harvesting, uh, documented for over 10,000 years. It's an amazing system. Floods come, deposit nutrients on the soil, we plant plants there, they draw the energy from the sun, convert that energy into food, and we eat it. It's been working for thousands of years. The problem is modern farming. And Now, now here's the author, Dr. William Davis of Wheatbelly. Um, quote, the thing being sold to us called wheat, it ain't wheat. It's this stocky little high-yield plant, a distant relative of the wheat that our mothers used to bake muffins genetically and biochemically light years removed from the wheat of just 40 years ago. Yep, because we now know that that the wheat products, okay, not only were they modified um, to do higher yields, uh, but they produced multiple different types of proteins that the body wasn't um, ready for, and then we we um, uh, spray the the fields with a glyphosate, which is a mineral chelator. It's also an antibiotic, and it dist- it kills the seeds. It desiccates. Well, it desiccates the plants. So production increases around 20 percent. The problem is you're spraying this healthy wheat product was something that's a mineral chelator and antibiotic, and that destroys the gut flora. Now, um, <laughs> well, and it, it's so important to look at the gut function because it is the enteric brain, it's the second brain, it's the gut behavior control that's that's independent of the primary brain. 90% of the fibers in the organ, okay, the vagus nerve. Figure the vagus nerve does everything. It does movement. It does secretion. It does everything, um, except ninety percent of that vagus nerve function is to communicate information from the gut to the brain, not the other way around. So this is hugely important when you understand the gut-brain connection. Now, when we look at diverticulitis, okay, this is again the wall of the intestinal tract breaking down, okay, it's, it's literally um, and you could have an outpouching, it'll be a diverticulum because the intest- intestinal tract is a muscular tube and when you have an outpouching, it's a diverticulum, inpouching, it's a polyp and then when you look, um, a diverticulitis, itis means inflammation, osis means condition of and a diverticulum is just a, the individual pouch now, it's more common in regions in the world that have low fiber, why? Because you have a muscular tube. A muscular tube is forcing that intestinal, um, whatever's coming out of the stomach through the intestinal tract. Now, uh, if you have reduced fiber, so you're eating more processed foods, you have you have a greater chance of diverticulitis. Turns out that if you use the intestine, it works works really good. Now, um, it's interesting, appendicitis um, could be the first representation of colorectal cancer. Now, this is huge. Um, it was a study out of the New Zealand Medical Journal, 2017. <clears throat> if people had acute, and we're talking from 45 to 60 years old, with acute appendicitis, had a 17-fold increased risk of colorectal cancer. Now, this is hugely important because, I mean, it's getting to be one of the more popular cancers. Uh, but why would that be? For one, the appendix job, when you damage the flora, the intestinal flora, your appendix job is to repopulate that intestinal flora with healthy bacteria. Because you may, well rummaging around in the fields where human beings were first, um, first, first food hunting and gathering, If you ate something that was bad, you would get diarrhea. Well, the appendix is there to repopulate this. So if you have things that damage the intestinal tract, that damage the gut flora, and we're talking antibiotics, medications, vaccines, toxic processed food, poisonous food, I mean, all the stuff that we're exposed to, um, you can increase damage of that. I mean, antibiotics, it kills the beneficial bacteria in your intestinal tract. And this allows yeast to thrive. And the yeast bore holes in the intestinal tract. And um, also, too, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, such as Advil, Tylenol, or Advil, Ibuprofen, um, Naproxen, these alter your intestinal train, contributing to leaky gut. So. If you are taking an antibiotic and a pain reliever, you are inducing leaky gut inside of the intestinal mm-hmm. tract. Now, oh, it, this is really cool one from the genus Penicillin, academic press, 1979. Uh, quote, it is ironic that the humble fungus held as a benefactor of mankind may by its very success prove to be a deciding factor in the decline of the present civilization. And that has to do with with penicillin. We cannot kill um, bacteria that we need for our survival. Here's one out of the New England Journal of Medicine. Taking azithromycin feeds bacteria that can poke holes through your intestinal tract. Amazing. Uh, You know, they even go on to talk about how Vioxx Um, also was removed from the market, well, they say eight years ago, but this is around 10 years, um, because it killed 60,000 people. Now, antibiotics resistant. Uh, the chain reaction, 80% of your um, immune system resides in your gut. So if you're taking something, an antibiotic, it can literally destroy your immune system. Chlorinated sugar, also, that can damage your immune system. And when you look at this, the gut-brain connection is so important. We know, and this is out of the Scandinavian Journal for Educational Research, autistic syndrome and a diet. Uh, what we do with all our autistic kids, and you know, we're getting up to where it's a one-in-two ratio now. Um, uh, it's like one in 14 now, boys. Uh, but it's it's getting worse and worse with the... Uh, processes that we're doing and ignoring the real cause, but know that you, if you got a kid or know somebody with with autism, changing the diet to a gluten free, dairy free diet is amazing. Um, what we're trying to do is find good fecal transplants, so we can start doing fecal transplants in our clinic in Mexico for autistic. It was allowed up here in America for a little bit, but um, you know, uh, effective non-pharmaceutical therapies tend to not get a lot of press up here. But here we go. The peptides of some, which are probably derived from gluten and casein, are thought to have a negative pharmacological effect on attention, brain maturation, social interaction, learning. Our hypothesis was that a diet without these proteins would facilitate learning, so they did a test. Four years, okay, after the onset of the dietary intervention, um, you're looking at normalization of urine patterns, peptide levels, a decrease in odd behavior, and improved social skills, and cognit- cognition. So uh, Get the kids on a gluten-free, dairy-free diet, ketogenic diet fantastic for neurologic disorders and again that could that's going to be gluten-free dairy-free if you can so what what do you do to heal your gut number one um, you got to reduce um, uh, well let's let's go toxic deficient nutrients because if you look at how how your system is designed to work Okay, literally designed to work. Um, You take in nutrients, break down um, protein, fats, and carbohydrates to amino acids, fatty acids, and usable sugars. Anything that you do to disrupt that process, like um, toxic food, antibiotics, medications, vaccines, anything you do that's not consistent with how your system is Um, you end up having a negatively functioning system. (laughs) Don't freaking poison yourself, okay? You know, if man makes it, you don't eat it, okay? If you have sensitivity to gluten, know that it would take around 30 to 45 days to heal your gut. Look at the physical stressor. Get your nervous system checked by a corrective chiropractor. Look at the chemical stressor. You could do a live blood cell analysis, full-body thermography. Those are well-identified sources of chemical stress, but really eat like what your great-grandpa ate, you know, and you're not going to have an issue. Now this is going to be for the censored part, um, because, well, uh, when you're, it's so frustrating, because I just came from uh, Fourth of July, where I'm looking at a whole bunch of illegal fireworks, and these are independent thinkers. I doubt if they're going to put a mask on. And, um, you know, unless they need to get groceries and we have a socialist environment. But, you know, let's let's get back our health, okay? Now, there was an article that was published in the Journal of Vaccines 2021, and it was retracted. That means that it was published. It went through the peer review. It was revised on the 19th of June, it was accepted on the twenty-first of June, and published on the twenty-fourth of June. Okay, uh, except it was retracted. It was retracted uh, on the July second, and it, it was expression of concern on the twenty-eighth. Okay, now in science. Okay, now let's say you're going to court, and uh, you had the defense and prosecution you're both going to have experts on whatever subject you're going to be looking at. Now, these experts from the same field are going to have differing of opinions. And that's what experts do. That's what science is. So I just want to <laughs> share the retracted part, because the title of this article was The Safety of COVID-19 Vaccines, Should We Rethink the Policy? Um, This is the abstract background. COVID, quote, COVID-19 vaccines have had expedited reviews without sufficient safety data. We wanted to compare the risks and benefits. So the method, we calculated the number needed to treat or needed to vaccinate from a large Israeli field study to prevent one death. We accessed the adverse drug reaction database of the European Medical Agency and the Dutch Register to extract the number of cases reporting severe side effects and the number of cases with fatal side effects. The result, the number needed to vaccinate, is between 200 and 700 to prevent one case of COVID for the mRNA vaccine marketed by Pfizer, while the number needed to vaccinate to prevent one death is between 9,000 and 50,000, with 16,000 as the point estimate. Uh, experience adverse reactions. Um, case interval, okay. So the number needed case uh, expecting experiencing vaccine reactions reported appear to between 700 and 100,000 vaccines. Currently we see 16 serious side effects for 100,000 vaccines and the number of fatal side effects is around five per 100,000 vaccines. Conclusion there, this lack of clear benefits should cause governments to rethink their vaccine policy. yeah you can imagine why that was retracted now it goes on to explain that that number needed to vaccinate so not everybody is going to get sick, and we've already gone through the the, um, the uh, well the, the number needed to vaccinate so now let's see. Is everybody at risk of this? No, not really. In fact, when you look at this, if you're below 65 degrees, uh, you have a 99.9, and then depending on your age and health category, so over a 99% chance of not having an issue with this. So your risk is really really low, and that's called a relative risk. Um, well, and this article goes on to state that there is absolutely no um, reason that this vaccine should be given to everybody. Now, here's an article at a June 10th on a Medscape. More evidence links COVID vaccines to rare cases of myocarditis in youth. Now, this is swelling of the heart. Now, no one knows how long it's gonna be there. No one knows um, how many people it is. But remember, we're injecting a vaccine with no long-term safety studies into children who have no risk. And we don't even know if there's an exposure because there's no long-term studies. Will it affect their fertility later? Nobody knows. Will it? Which for sure isn't staying in the arm because we know the autopsies of people that have had the shot and died. So um, here we go. Quote, The side effect seems to be more common in teen boys and young men than in older adults and women and may occur in 16 cases per million who got the second dose. Now, um, William Schaefer, MD, infectious disease specialist from Vanderbilt University, um, thinks there's certain characteristics are pointing to a real but rare signal. First, the events are clustering within days of the vaccination. Second, they tend to be more common in males and younger people. Third, he says the number of events above the number of so-called background rate, the cases could be expected in this age group without vaccination. Now, the issue of myocarditis weighed heavily, I love the way they word this, weighed heavily on the vaccine and related biologic projects advisory committee considerations of what and how much data needed um, needed to green light the use of vaccines for COVID in children. Because the hospital rates are so low for COVID in kids, some felt that the FDA should at least require a year of studying the vaccines in clinical trials. The amount of data typically required for a full approval instead of two months currently required for emergency use. Others wonder whether the risk of vaccines as low as they are, might outweigh the benefits in this group. <laughs> you know, We're talking common sense. If you have a 99.99% chance of not having an issue, that is a very low risk. And if you have a 16 per million rate of cardiac anomalies that, the kid, that might kill the kid, obviously the risk of the vaccine or intervention is greater than the risk of the disease. Let's go on to um, uh, Michael Carrilla, MD, PhD, Clinical Director of uh, Innovation at National Institute of Health. Quote, I don't really see this as an emergency in children. Um, however, he did say he thought that having an expanded access pro- program for children um, might, um, at, at high risk might make sense. I, you know, let, let's just take a step back. If kids aren't at risk of this, let's not do an experimental use authorization. Um, and and the comments section. And I, I encourage you, if you ever read any data, um, go to the comments section, okay? Because you know when you read an article that's obviously biased. And this is what the majority of the health um, information out there, particularly if you're looking at standard media and the stuff that isn't being censored. And the stuff that isn't being censored, like Dell Big Tree Highwire, the Dr. BVIP, it's hard to find. Medscape is something that goes to every doctor in the country. And I, I want you to... Here, this is some of the comment section. There were 85 comments of that article I just read. Uh, Quote, and this is from Frank Delano, Uh, never in modern medicine have we ever considered mass vaccination of children with an investigational biologic product with no proven efficacy and safety. Further studies demonstrate that children could not asymptomatically spread the SARS-CoV-2 virus, and it causes a mild upper respiratory tract infection in children. Last year, more children died of influenza than COVID. Now, the issue of vaccination has brought forward to children with limited studies demonstrating COVID-19 antibodies after the vaccination. These regional studies for the mRNA demonstrated no clinical benefit. Conversely, data from the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System demonstrates that more children would be harmed with the mRNA than will benefit from the immunization against SARS. It appears that the vaccine stakeholders, Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, the CDC and the FDA and the National Institute of Health, those stand to benefit from a needle in every arm and want children to be vaccinated or not for the, not for the benefit of children, but for the perceived protection of others. Um, that is just a brilliant comment. So let's keep in mind the spirit of 4th um, of July. Let's get our independence back. Okay, And when I say back, I mean literally stopping this insanity. Um, I encourage you to watch um, our whole series. I'm going to have Anna Von Reitz on this. We are going to take back our country. You're going to have the freedom of, of expression, freedom of religion. No one will shut your church down. No one will shut your business down. Um, You know, there's a lot of advantages to changing your citizenship status from U.S. citizen to American citizen. And we're going to cover that in detail. But just open your eyes to the fact that this is not a virus worse than the cold or flu, that disease is an adaptation to how human beings are exposed. It's from toxicity or deficiency and addressing the underlying toxicity or deficiency, you're going after the cause. To take medications for a d- disease caused by a toxic, deficient environment that cause more harm does not make sense. I, duh. Yeah, but common sense is very rare. So we're going to take our world back, take our life back, and take our health back. This is Dr. John Bergman. God bless you. I love you. From the from the bowels of of <laughs> of California, and we, we will get it back. It's just going to take a few years. God bless you, I love you.